Hey everybody, thank you for downloading this episode of Out Front on the Chicago Podcast Network with AJ and Nick. I am Nick Serrano's Editor-in-Chief, host here on the Chicago Podcast Network, joined over the interwebs and Skype by my good buddy AJ Signari. AJ, do what you do. Hey everybody. Oh, I love it when he gets deep. I love it when he gets all, you know, Barry White with the son of a bitch. Uh... First, the Proverbs. You can find us on Facebook, Chicago Podcast Network. You can find us on Twitter, Chi-Town Podcast One. And most importantly, you can email us on Gmail, Chicago Podcast Network at gmail.com. All of those wonderful ways for you to get in touch with us and tell us how you are feeling right here, right now, with this dumpster fire of a presidential election. But before we get to everything that's going on in the world, AJ, how you doing, buddy? Well, after the last episode... Um about front we did, I, I kind of feel better. I feel a lot of tension was off my shoulders. Uh, my back feels better. I can, I've slept better. And for those who have downloaded the episode, um, I hope you kind of live vicariously through us. Um, and that was your therapy as well. Yeah, uh, I liked our last episode. I liked how we tried to break down everything after. For those of you who don't know, AJ... Uh, is a crazy person. No, it's uh, well, was, it, it, <laughs> jur- this jury's still out on that one. That's true. No, it was one of those shows that I just felt like we needed to hit a bunch of issues really quickly, and you know that was coming out of a debate that was just crazy, and there was a lot of um, I don't even know how to describe it. Just less than. Like the, the the bar for what happens at a presidential debate was lowered to such a level that it's not even likely to hit by the time we get to the 2020 election. And that had to do with the fact that uh, Jack Azron Hairpiece, you know, got caught on tape using language that made both of us uncomfortable. And I think the last week has shown a lot of men were really offended at the idea that this was locker room talk. And, you know, a lot of the guys that I've talked to and even the people on TV have said, uh, it's not locker room talk. It's no one they know talks like this, which made me feel pretty good about people in general that even, you know, frat boys, because I think it was, uh, it wasn't Chuck Todd. It was Jake Tapper was trying to say that he was in a fraternity and never heard people talk like that, which I enjoyed that. The, the real thing to me, though, is after that, we did our show, and then, kind of like how we did last week, all hell broke loose, and about... I don't know, as of right now, seven women have come out with allegations that Donald Trump grabbed them inappropriately or kissed them without their permission, which leads into a whole other thing. This election has now turned into, I mean, as the world turns, has more class than this election right now, AJ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, with the allegations and now six-plus women have come out about Trump, I heard a little bit of his, whatever the hell that was, he did in West Palm Beach, Florida, and then what he also did at Columbus, Ohio, at the Ohio State University. The Ohio State University. That's the thing. That's what really pisses me off about that school than anything else. That, <laughs> Sunday Night um, Football is unwatchable just because of... Well, well, that and a few other things that pisses me off about the Ohio State University. Um, my, well, just really quick, my favorite thing about all of that is when there's one asshole on the other team who goes, the University of Michigan. Well, I, I love here's that. a side note. I was recruiting a tennis player once, and we were talking, and we were about to sign letter of intent to play on my team and everything. Then all of a sudden, 
uh, I watch ESPN, and the person I am trying to recruit is on the Ohio State University's men's tennis team and is playing in the conference tournament only because they're on a trimester system. Really? Yeah. So he took the 12 minimum credits and he passed, you know, one of the quarters and, you know, was able to play on the varsity team and pisses me off ever since then. <laughs> but go ahead. You were going to say about the trauma. Well, that it was, it was obviously it was a whole bunch of college students at that particular rally and everything and i didn't you couldn't see the crowd but you heard all these younger people um saying we love you or crooked hillary blah 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 and it's like oh my god you are showing your support of a person who you know spews you know misogyny and sexism and everything else and what's the number one concern on college campuses? Rape. So you you are trying to live vicariously through Trump by supporting the very actions um, that he's being accused of. Well, the funniest thing to me, and not funny, but when I, ladies and gentlemen, just so you know, when you listen to the show, when I say funny, I mean weird. The weirdest thing to me about all of this is. Uh, here we have the Republican presidential candidate running on a platform of just hate and fear. And honestly, you know what, AJ? We Before the show started, we talked about what we were going to do today. And, and I didn't mention this, but I, I want to get into this a little bit. There's something going on with a lot of people, and it's about fear. And it makes me think of... It's a video that went viral a few years ago. For those of us who are Aaron Sorkin fans, we know what it is. The the line, uh, the, the the opening scene of the show, The Newsroom. And, you know, there's that great, you know, what America, what, what makes America the greatest country on earth. I don't know. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. In that piece, he has a line. He goes, we sure, we didn't used to be so afraid all the time. And, and I really feel that fear has become a major point in not just this election, but in politics in general, because, and it's not necessarily something that's new, but at this level, it's just, I have people who I talk to who say to me constantly, Hillary Clinton is a crook, and I can't, I couldn't possibly bring myself to vote for her. Uh, I can't vote for Trump because he's a, he's a lunatic, uh, but the world is a dangerous place, and everything is terrible, and everything is bad, and I wonder how much of all of this is people just afraid to deal with the reality that they're in, that the world, realistically, you're not the star of a reality show. You're not the star of a Spielberg movie. Your life is your life. And I wonder how much people are just afraid of meaninglessness, maybe, or are they afraid to die from terrorism? I don't get it anymore, but every story I read, there is an underlying element of be afraid. Be afraid of all this. Be afraid of Trump. Be afraid of Hillary. You know, don't be afraid of Gary Johnson because he doesn't know anything. And, you know, kind of know who Jill Stein is. The the, the whole thing has, I don't even know, it's, it's like when I'm watching this stuff, 
And I see these people out there saying, well, Donald Trump is going to make America great again. At first, I, that slogan was funny to me. Now it's gotten to the point, I'm like, do people really think that America is such a bad place that the only way to fix it is to, is to elect jackass von Hairpiece? And this guy this week, six women, I think you said six plus, we don't really have the final number yet, but there was a, a of women coming out saying that this guy forced himself on him in almost the exact same way that he described on this tape. And he is running uh, in the party that is the home of the religious right. I, I don't understand it anymore. I don't know. And the only thing I can think of is that people are so afraid of a Hillary presidency that they're willing to, what's their expression, throw the baby out with the bathwater? Like, right. th that's what it feels like right now. What, do you, what are you seeing? What do you think this is? I think um, Obama said it best when he spoke last night in Ohio as well, which is, you know, you have a party, which is the Republican Party, who has done nothing but kind of riled up a base, and that base gotten a lot of people elected over time your Rand Pauls of the world, your Mitch McConnells, et cetera, et cetera, oh, your John yeah. Boehner's, Eric Cantor's, and all of a sudden that base is now had shifted from what we would thought would have been a Jeb Bush nomination this year to a Donald Trump nomination this year. So and we saw this, like I said before, in the primary, you know, you saw that whole political spectrum on the right and all those established Republicans, the John Kasich, the Jeb Bushes, and shifting it over to the Chris Christie's, the Scott Walker's, et cetera, et cetera, to this guy named Donald Trump. So you have that and to your question of, you know, what is going on, is it fear? I, I, it has been that for quite some time, you know, and, you know, we can go back to 9-11 as, like, the starting point for that and everything. And anyone who's read Naomi Klein's, um, like, either Disaster Capitalism or the Shock Doctrine, Shock Doctrine really talks about this idea where you have something intense happening, um, a bombing, um, someone taking over something, or whatever that shock is, then that shock and all effect, you have the shock, people move in, or someone moves in, tells people, like, I'm like you know, we'll, we'll try to make this better, and they believe them. And then they try to create infrastructures in place. They try to change the cultural paradigm after the shock and everything. And that's what has been going on. Since 9-11 and everything, a lot of people have been afraid of the terrorists, and I'm saying this with air quotes and everything, because, you know, we have redefined what terrorists and terrorism is all of a sudden. Terrorism has always been around, you know, since, you know, before Christ, you know. I mean, everything in our history and world history has been terrorism and everything. We just have redefined what terrorism and what terrorists look like and everything, and they happen to be, unfortunately, those from the Middle East. I... What I really want to... I, I see what you're saying with this stuff, and, and, and fear has been a part of it, and 
you know, even the, the, the re-election campaign of George W. Bush was all under the idea of we haven't been attacked since 9-11, what a great job I'm doing. And you can go into the 2008 campaign with Barack Obama where he seemed to be running against basically a watered-down version of the Donald Trump campaign, which is that things aren't great, things are bad, look at the president, we've, we've done all this stuff. And even when... Obama was running uh, in 2008, the, the response to the Bush campaign was, or to the Bush presidency, wasn't, the, the thing about me is, I, I, you know, as a lifelong, I am 34 years old now, and as a guy who's been a Democrat basically his whole life, because God bless the West Wing, the thing that I find most disturbing is that Democrats run against Republican policies. They run against Republican records. Republicans run against the run-on, in my lifetime, it's always been on fear of liberals. They're weak. They're not going to do what you need you to do. And history has shown us that that's no longer, that that's just not the case. And the only thing I can think of with people being able to embrace this guy in just complete defiance of their own principles is that they're so afraid of this. The Republicans have done such a good job of making people afraid of the idea that, you know, what's the phrase that Alex Jones calls you and me, uh, social justice warriors? You know, that's who we are. And But I've never understood. It, it reminds me of that scene in The American President with the, uh, yes, I am a card-carrying member of the ACLU. Why aren't you? It's an organization that defends the, top, the, the, the Bill of Rights. And... That's how I I've started to feel about this election is what what are you people doing? And and I want to get into this now with the Hillary Clinton thing of people literally going out there and saying that on the right that Hillary Clinton is as guilty for the mistreatment of women as Donald Trump is because her husband cheated on women and she helped and she stayed with him and 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 helped I don't know, mitigate the damage to their reputation. Donald Trump has been accused by six women of doing stuff that, like, did you read, okay, first off, did you read the article in People Magazine or on the website? No, because I don't read People Magazine. Okay, well, neither do I normally, but it was a story, <laughs> it was a story about a former People Magazine writer who was on the Trump beat. Do you know the story I'm talking about? Yeah, I know of the story. I haven't read that article. All right, for those of you who don't know, there's, the story was written by a former People Magazine writer named Natasha Stonyoff, uh, S-T-O-Y-N-O-F-F. I want to make sure I'm spelling it because I'm probably saying it wrong. And she wrote a first-person account of Donald Trump forcibly kissing her at that Mar-a-Lago resort in 2005 they went down there to do a photo shoot this was for the one year uh anniversary of melania and donald trump's wedding and apparently melania trump went upstairs to change and while they were alone donald trump pinned her up against the door and forced his tongue down her throat and she basically said she was so shocked she didn't know what to do she went back to her magazine told them what happened they left it up to her she decided to avoid humiliation and, and didn't want to lose her job uh, in the long run or have a career effect. So she decided to stay quiet until she saw the debate. Now, this is where things get weird because I do have a, a an instant problem with somebody coming out 10 years, 20 years later with an account of what happened. Uh, th this is similar to me to several stories in sports where you hear an allegation and you don't really know what happened. 
I, I don't know what really happened. The thing with Donald Trump, though, is starting to feel like the Bill Cosby thing, where one person comes out and you're willing to go, okay, maybe not. Two people, okay, maybe not. Three, four, five, six, okay, maybe not. Maybe these are all people trying to get a payday. Maybe these are all people trying to do something else. It's harder to believe that when it's an established writer with their own career already who's gone on to write screenplays and pilots for television shows and done very well financially. You don't really know what they have a payoff coming, but okay, let's just say that that it's all propaganda. The more women that come out, though, the more smoke, the more chances that there's actually a fire here. And I don't know about you, AJ, but I don't find it very difficult to believe that Donald Trump thinks that he's empowered to force himself... On women, I don't. I, I see that as a possibility based on his personality. Part of the reason why I've always had a, a problem with the Bill Clinton stuff and the allegations against him is I never got the "I force myself on women" vibe from Bill Clinton. What I always got from Bill Clinton was he's just that charming and sleeps with anything that he can get his hands on. It's not necessarily the nicest thing in the world, but I never thought of it as forceful. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? And I do, and, you know... Do you think I'm wrong? Please tell me if you do. Well, on, 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 what, on what part? That I mean, Bill Clinton didn't, doesn't strike you as the kind of person who would force himself on somebody. No, but at the same token, you know, males who, you know, who have a certain persona are going to use that persona to their advantage, right? Uh, Trump is a very aggressive person, so he's going to do the most aggressive approach possible when it comes to women. You know, you know, Clinton, Bill Clinton. You know, he has a certain suave to him. You know, uh, and he can use that to his ability, and we can see that with Paula Jones, Monica Lewinsky, and a few other women that he has. You know, cheated on his wife with. You know. Uh, so that's what it comes down to. And when you are part of that kind of misogyny and when you're a part of, you know, this is what we talk, when we talk about rape culture, you know, this is the very thing that we talk about, you know, when we, myself and others talk to other women about, you know, what to look out for, as well as, you know, how to combat these things, you know, it's not just a universal you know, someone's going to sneak up on you and attack you like that. That happens. But you're going to have the Donald Trumps that, you know, reinforce rape culture the way he does things. Uh, the same way with Bill Clinton and Bill Cosby, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's funny because I've been talking to a friend about serial killers and, you know, just walk with me here, everyone, when I say this, you know. <laughs> Because you know, even like you look at serial killers, like you know, like the Jeffrey Dahmer's and all that. I mean, you don't know. Like I didn't know who's going to do that. He's a nice guy. He looks awkward. He's shy. But I never expected that to happen out of him. Same way with other people, like Jared. You know, from Subway. He seemed like a nice guy. He lost a weight. Good for him. But he's doing this shit. You know. Yeah. I'm- it's, it's, it's that kind of approach, so there's not a well, universal... Let's, let's, let's mention the big one, the, the, the Penn State University stuff. Exactly, you know? So it's not a, it's not a one-size-fits-all uh, kind of rape culture. There's many layers into this and everything, and 
you know, and this is why we need to need to address it because unfortunately we do have a patriarchal society in the United States and everything. And, you know, you have certain people who seem they're not talking down to women, but they are, but they never had that education or someone telling them says, Hey, you're talking down to me and this is what it looks like, you know? Or hey, you know, I'm not getting paid and this is I'm showing you I'm not getting paid rightly do that the same colleague at the same pay grade as me you know is getting paid more than me and everything you know these are the things that need to be pointed out and you know i, I don't condone what bill clinton did in his past uh, i don't condone obviously with trump or what bill cosby or jared or whomever else you know who decides to use their own approach to victimize women well, adding to the list of things that Donald Trump does involving women and really anyone who he deems less than himself, did you see the story that came out last night about Marley Matlin? Yeah, um, I was really pissed when I read that one because that's not the first time I read an article about that. I mean, I'm talking about like way back in the 90s. Yeah. That some people have said that about her and everything. I'm like, I'm like you're talking about a woman who has worked her ass off to want to be an actor, you know? Yeah, just so people know, uh, Marley Matlin is an actress, and um, she's also... Is she uh, fully deaf? She's fully deaf, uh, and she busted her ass to learn how to speak uh, well. She also is a huge fan. But if those of you who listen to the show, chances are you're a little bit political junkie, and we reference the show all the time. On The West Wing, she played the uh, the character Joey Lucas. Um, basically, anytime you've seen a very successful deaf woman in a movie, uh, chances are it was played by Marley Matlin. And she's a fantastic, fantastic actress. I love her on The West Wing, uh, and I believe is she she the one who's married to James Carville, or not married? But oh, no, no, that's that's someone else. Oh, I always get the two of their names confused. I know. Every time I hear hear her last time, I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah, <laughs> who are uh, you talking about? So Marley Matlin, who's actually from Chicago, by the way. Um, Guy, Donald Trump called. She's a deaf woman, ladies and gentlemen, who, who who's risen above that to become an exceptionally good actress. And Donald Trump on the set of The Apprentice called her retarded and made fun of her voice because she was deaf. And you know he's the kind of asshole who did it behind her so she couldn't hear or see right. what he was doing. It's just... Here's the difference, and, and, and I wanted to get into this with you. There's a hypocrisy about the Clinton campaign going after Donald Trump for all these accusations because you can literally rewind the clock 20 years and go back to 1990, actually even, yeah, go back to 1996 election where the Republicans were running on the same platform basically against Bill Clinton. And that's why this sexual allegation stuff I don't feel should really affect the election from my perspective, as horrible as that sounds, because there is as much smoke around Bill Clinton as there is around Donald Trump. But I love the argument that other people have been making, and this part is important. Bill Clinton is not running for president right now. Hillary Clinton is. And you can look at that any way that you want, but that matters, because Hillary Clinton, as far as we know, is not going to be forcing herself on women in the Oval Office. I, I, I can't imagine that that's the case. So who knows what the hell is going to go on here, but just the... The, the breakdown in civility I find incredibly disturbing. This is happening in a lot of different places. I wonder, I talked about fear before, I wonder how much of it is social media culture too. You know, we call it rape culture. There's, 
here's the thing. I, I, there's a, a, a woman that I know uh, and I've gotten very close with over the last few months. I'm not really sure what our relationship really is right now, but I will simply say that she is an exceedingly beautiful woman. And the one thing that I've noticed spending time with her is when she, because she's that attractive, men treat her like property. Mm-hmm. And it is like that they have a right to her because they've decided that they do. And I'm wondering how much of what we see and what you're calling and what a lot of people call rape culture stems from the fact that online women are treated so badly that as long as you don't hit that, that the bar, again, the bar is so low, as long as you're not hitting that, that it's okay to just judge women based on appearance. You know, every single day that I go online, I'm, I'm hit with lists of top 10 bikini photos or top 10, you know, risque photos celebrities don't want you to see. And this shit is all over the place and it treats women like objects. And that has got to be a factor in all of this with so many people on the right being okay with Donald Trump doing this. And I know that in some rooms, the conversation is, well, he's rich, so clearly they wanted to be with him. Like that's some sort of be-all, end-all, past all of this. And I find, as a man, that offensive, not just because it's wrong, but it starts to shine a light on the rest of us that we're all like this. And I don't think that I am. I know for a fact that you aren't because I'm so pretty and you haven't tried to make a move on me yet. And You just haven't, you know, accepted my advances is all. Well, you know, a girl likes flowers, AJ. I gave you them, even though they came from the cemetery. Yeah, see, that's the thing. I don't, I don't want your dead flowers, your dead people flowers. Besides, what are you doing at a cemetery in the middle of the day? That's also weird. No, it's not. It's a little weird. Not if it's Graceland. Ladies and gentlemen, this conversation is about to take a turn off the rails. Especially <laughs> <laughs> we talk about Graceland Cemetery. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I've, I've always preferred, uh, what's the other big one downtown? It's Graceland, and then there's... Uh, Rose? Rose Hill? Yeah, Rose Hill is the one I like, and... Uh, Bachelor's Grove is the one I was thinking. Oh, Bachelor's Grove. Yeah. All right. I want to stick on the Trump thing for just a little bit longer, and then we'll switch the conversation around a little bit. But the the, the thing that I want to look at right now before we get done with this whole issue is Donald Trump's campaign is, by any measure, spinning completely out of control. Uh, CNN released a story this afternoon saying that in most of the battleground states that they're looking at, Donald Trump is now trailing. Uh, the only states where he has a lead that are still in play for him are uh, Florida, Ohio, which has now gone uh, gone tied. Uh, he's basically campaigning in Florida, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and North Carolina. That's where they're spend, spending their money. As of yesterday, the RNC, Republican National Committee, pulled their funding on television ads for Donald Trump. They are now refocusing that money onto local lower ballot campaigns. Believe me when I tell you that you will see the effect of this. It's already started here, started here in Illinois. Uh, you'll see a lot more television ads for Republican congressmen and Republican candidates for Senate here in Illinois. It's it's really just blowing the the entire thing. 
There is a part of me that is hopeful that this is the, the, the death knell of the GOP. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, just a little bit of trivia for you. For those of you who are wondering what GOP stands for, I will now test my friend AJ's political knowledge. AJ, what does GOP stand for? Grand old party. Gotta love it. Even that sounds slightly racist. <laughs> I'm just saying, we're the grand old party. That doesn't sound like a place where black people are allowed to go. I'm just saying. You want to go to the grand old party? No, absolutely not. You know, every time I hear grand old party, I think of Fred Flintstone. Oh, really? Going to, what was it, the water buffalo? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I hear, see, that's funny that you say that, because when I hear grand old party, I think I picture like a 1920s cotillion. <laughs> Just like people in, in white dresses and Specifically suits. Specifically a cotillion, not... Yes, a cotillion, not just a random party, specifically a cotillion, and I, which is basically a quinceanera, which you got to love. Here, here's a 15-year-old girl. She's ready to be married now. I don't think that this works this way anymore. She's not legally allowed to drink yet. Maybe, maybe slow it down just a little bit. I mean, every time I've heard, like, Grand Old Party, you know, it, this really speaks to not changing anything and yeah. as much as both republicans and democrats say they change they actually don't i mean they've held conventions they have platform committees every f- four years or such and so they have opportunities to change names they have opportunities to make amends in their platform and bylaws and everything but they choose not to and i don't know why i mean I mean, even I'm not saying third parties don't do that. I know some third parties that are still stringent upon certain rules that haven't passed since 1935. You know? Yeah. But, you know, when you have still grand old party, and I can't slow that down as much as possible. Bob grand, the grand old, old party. Party. You know? Why. If you're trying to even attract millennials, even trying to keep your Gen X and Yers, you know, in your party, why have the word old in such of a title? You know, because you're just allowing old white men to run your party, despite what Paul Ryan looks like. Feels like uh, that scene in Tommy Boy. It's a guaranteed piece of shit, just because the guarantee is on the box. Right. You know, and there's with the Republicans and, you know, you've heard this said a lot. Um, and this is one of those things where people our age, AJ, have to kind of take the word of people who are older than us, that it wasn't always like this. My entire life, ever since I, I was born in 1982, in 1992, I was 10 years old. I don't remember the first Bill Clinton uh, George H.W. Bush election very much. I just remember Ross Perot being on television and spending... I, I just I don't even remember him spending the money. I didn't know about that. I was 10. What I remember is that there was a night when I wanted to watch some show and I couldn't watch it because there was a little crazy Texan who had bought time on ABC. Right. That That's what I remember about that election. 1996, I'm 14 now, and I'm starting to get into politics. But even that, when it was Bob Dole versus... Bob Dole, Bob Dole. Bob Dole, Bob Dole, against Bill Clinton, uh, I, I don't really remember the debates that much. I, I wasn't that into it yet. It started, but I wasn't there. 
by the 2000 election, you know, I had already been watching the West Wing for a few years. Uh, I'd gotten into radio in high school. Uh, my political personality had started to develop. And I started to watch. I, I remember being, uh, being that age and watching this stuff. And realistically, George Bush and Al Gore had real debates. Uh, as far as they could have him at that point. That that was the debate where you remember Al Gore just constantly saying lockbox. We're going to put it in a lockbox uh, for the entire debate. I remember that. But even then, their differences were about policy. They were about tax issues. They were about everything. It was only during the John Kerry-George Bush election when John Kerry was running on the, the platform of don't vote for George W. Bush, he'll lead us into war. And George Bush was running on the don't elect John Kerry, he'll let the gays get married. And that was really what that election was about. It was, do you want to still be fighting a war, or is it more important to you that gays not get married and other assorted religious right issues? And what we learned in that election is people don't care about war as long as gays can't get married. We learned that in 2004. You fast forward, you know, to the 2012 election, and you, you've got Mitt Romney running on a platform of these policies don't work, despite evidence that they were working. And we can't trust the liberals to be in office because they'll make us less safe. It has now devolved into just the ultimate mudslinging contest between two people who nobody really seems to like very much. And the entire process, as we understand it, it either needs to be reset or four years from now, Vince McMahon just needs to promote a match where the two candidates fight, and then we let America's uh, Got Talent vote the next night on who should become president. You know, I, I really thought by now, quite honestly, that Trump would use the WWE in his campaign somehow. Like appear on a Raw or something? Yeah, like not like a, like a, a rally like he's been doing, but come out. And be in the ring and, you know, relive what, you know, the match of, you know, whose hair is going to get cut and everything. Um, I thought that that was going to happen or, you know, Trump interrupts Raw or SmackDown, more likely Raw, and, you know, talks about how everything's a farce. And Vince McMahon comes down and comes out and says, you know what? I endorse Donald Trump. I don't know if he does, though. Because that's part of the thing with me, is is, is normally in a situation like this, um, I, I don't think that... I, I mean, I don't know what Vince McMahon ever... I don't think anyone besides Vince McMahon... I don't even think Vince McMahon knows what he's thinking at any given point. But they had him on a few times, you know, 10 years ago, and I, and I just wonder if they're... Because they've had political candidates on before, you know, very famously in one year they had Hillary on, John McCain on, and Barack Obama on during a primary season to address the WWE audience, and they all did a thing, and both McCain and Barack Obama did, do you smell what the rock is cooking, variations on what they did, McCain's was much worse, and you wonder though... is the WWE just afraid to embrace him because it'll help? It'll make them lose viewers. I personally think that they want nothing to do with this whole political scheme whatsoever. I also am starting to wonder, though, how much of Donald Trump's 
political personality was born the night that he appeared in front of WrestleMania because it's very similar. And as I'm watching this stuff go down, he, he seems to have become the kind of guy who, like a really good wrestling heel, is just going out of his way to piss people off because if people pay attention to me, then I'll be good to go. The, the, the whole thing is just nuts. Do you really feel, Nick, the WWE expert, <laughs> really, do you feel that Trump is like Ric Flair in some way? Yeah. Like 1980s heel Ric Flair? Yeah. Yeah, like I'm the limousine riding, jet flying, kiss stealing. <laughs> Son of a gun. Yeah. I mean, you had the kiss stealing thing. It seems almost... Huh. Because, I mean, if you... I mean, I mean, even if like for those who like know of Ric Flair and kind of seen snippets of, you know, Woo! his insanity, you know, I mean, without being animated about it on Trump's end, I mean, there's a lot of things you can compare Trump and Ric Flair about. Like, you know, he wants to be on top of the world and he's going to do everything in his power to do it. Um, you know, he will interrupt you and everything uh, without, again, like getting to an actual fight. Uh, you know, Ric Flair will, you know, with the ref's back to him, uh, Rick will just, you know, chop block somebody or, you know, he will gouge the eyes or something, you know, and he kind of does that in his rhetoric, in Trump's rhetoric, he in, in a few other things. So I always kind of, in some ways, look at Trump as Ric Flair, and it worries me because, you know, Ric Flair has won... You know, heavyweight title after heavyweight title after heavyweight title, and sixteen-time world champ. You know, and he was with the Four Horsemen. You know, he was with Evolution, and you know, sure. I mean, Rick may have brought those people, but every single one of those stables has, you know, their own asset to the table that makes them who they are. Well, there's a, it's funny that you say that because even just getting away from the wrestling discussion, but just strictly on a character thing, does Donald Trump know that he's playing the villain at this point? And I think he does, and I don't think that he cares. And part of me, you know, my dad, for the entire length of this election, has repeatedly said to me, I don't think Donald Trump really wants to be president. I think he's running because he wants to promote himself. And... You know, there's been some jokes about that and however you want to look at it, that he can't be serious with the way he's been running his stuff. I think that he wants to be president. I just think he doesn't want to do any of the work necessary to be president. You know, we, I've said it before, and the argument that I've been making to people the last week, whenever somebody says, you know, I'm really struggling with who to vote for, I don't know if I should vote for Hillary. I can't vote for Trump because he's an idiot, and I don't really want to vote for Hillary, but I'm afraid that if I don't, Hillary won't be, that Trump will win. I said, look, it comes down to this very simple question. And I really do feel this way. And I kind of think I know where it falls on with you. As annoying as it is for you, AJ, champion of the third party that you are, you have to admit that at 3 o'clock in the morning, and India and Pakistan are moving troops along the border to fight over Kashmir, and they're talking about putting nukes into play, do you really want Donald Trump to be the person who has to deal with that situation? But beyond like his responsibility to making a rational decision, 
if you're going to make a decision, you have to be informed about the scenario, which means the night before you make that call, you go back to the White House study and you spend hours reading about India and Pakistan and their recent deployments and the people involved in their government. You know, it's like a three-hour process to become briefed and knowledgeable about everything you can know about that situation and then make an informed decision. I don't trust Donald Trump to do that work. That doesn't make him a bad guy, by the way. There's a... I'm going to change the analogy here, and I want you to stick with me. I, I, I grew uh, up... You lost me after he's not a bad guy, so no, 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 no. Okay. What I mean by that is, I don't think that Donald Trump is evil. Evil, to me, means knowing that you're doing something wrong and doing it anyway. I don't believe that Donald Trump thinks that what he is doing is wrong. I'm not saying that he's a good person. I'm simply saying that I don't think that he's evil. Do you understand the difference of what I'm trying to say here? Well, yeah. I mean, there's wrong, and then there's like... Actively working to hurt people. Right. He doesn't think that he's hurting people. Now, that's fucked up, but that, doesn't, that means you're not evil. That just means that you're stupid and you're not, and you're not thinking. I hope I'm drawing that distinction before I go into the next part of this. Here's what no, I think. No, I think you are, and you know, I, I, if I can just add a little bit to that, I mean, for me, evil is there's a little bit of nihilism within your thought. In other words, that you don't care what the repercussions are. You just want to kind of just burn down this path of whatever it is before you and everything, and. You know, we all feel that Donald Trump is not the best person with the football, with the new codes and all that. I mean, that's horrible, and we really don't want that and everything. Is he going to get in there? Let me put it this way. If he went in day one in the White House, and that's his first thing, then I will consider him evil. Right, that's my point. Yeah. But, but here's the thing that I wanted to say. There are, I grew up on the North Shore, played football growing up, and as I've gotten older and I started to get into my later 20s, uh, I went to NFL training camp for the Bears, and I was watching practice, and it brought back all these unpleasant memories of football practice, and football's a weird sport, because it's the only sport where you don't play the game when you practice, uh, basketball, you play a scrimmage game. Soccer, you play a scrimmage game. Hockey, you play a scrimmage game. You play hockey, basketball, soccer when you're practicing. You play baseball when you're practicing. In football, you're running drills, and then if you're really, if you work really hard, you get to play the actual game. The reason that I'm bringing that up is when I got older, I'd have people my age, especially in my mid twenties, would say, "Man, you know this guy, AJ. Man, I should have stayed in football. Could have played in the NFL." Uh, and you look at them and go, you don't want to play in the NFL. And they look and goes, no, man, I could have done it. Goes, no. Not only could you not have because you weigh 120 pounds, but you don't want to do that. You don't know the hard work that it actually takes to play in the NFL. It's not like playing any other professional sport. Every single day, you're just getting the shit kicked out of you. And then if you're really, really, really lucky, if you're in the top 40% of people in the NFL, which is the top 0.1% of people who have ever played football in the United States, you get to play in the game on Sunday. And if you're really lucky, you play for half the game. Football sucks if you're not 100% committed to it. Right. And the reason that I'm bringing this up is, look at Donald Trump. 
he doesn't really want to be president. He might think that he does, but he doesn't. It's not the kind of job that a guy like him should, would even want. And that doesn't make you bad. That doesn't make you a bad person to not be able to be president of the United States. That doesn't mean that you're a failure. That doesn't mean that you're a bad per- that, that it makes it wrong. It just means that you are not the person for the job. That does happen. A person who goes to medical school for 30 years is undoubtedly an incredibly intelligent person. That doesn't mean that that person can become president. They don't know enough about what's going on in the world to be able to be president. Donald Trump, taking away all the scandal and all the bullshit and everything else, the man himself is not engaged enough with the world to be president of the United States. So when somebody comes up to you and goes, I don't know if I can vote for Hillary, simply look at them and say, or, or that I have to vote for Donald for whatever reason, go... This man should not be president. Take away all of the other bullshit. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. India and Pakistan are going ready to get to war. And you need to become an, an expert on both of those countries in 45 minutes. Do you trust that Donald Trump will do that? If your answer is anything other than an unequivocal yes, then the guy should not be president. That's kind of where I'm at. Well, there's a very long-winded way to get there. For a moment still, uh... You know, one could say Donald Trump is calling offensive plays, but he's nothing but the punter on the team. Yeah, I got, I like that. You know, I mean, that's all he's doing. I mean, all he's doing at these rallies is punting his thoughts out there, but he's also trying to call plays, even though he's not the quarterback. Yeah, it's like that thing where a guy runs out into the huddle and is like, all right, guys, we get fourth and three and whatever. It's like, dude, you're the long snapper. Shut up. <laughs> right. You're not even the cool one from Seattle who does magic tricks. Right. We got a couple minutes left here, AJ. Uh, going into next week, ladies and gentlemen, just to let you know, I we haven't really talked to AJ about this, but I'd like to, we're going to focus next week, uh, obviously, on the presidential election, but I'd like to start getting into some of the local elections, too. Uh, and just to give you guys a primer on what's going on. But before we get out of here for the day, AJ, uh, we are the Chicago Podcast Network, and so I earned it after that show, and I'll take it. Your stupid baseball team won its stupid baseball game, and they won, and now they're in the NLCS, one stage closer to their horrible, horrible objective. They're Gollum. I'm Frodo. And you guys are about to enter Mordor. So, how you doing with your stupid team and its stupid game? Well, my, my Blue Jays are doing fine. I so love the Blue Jays. I'm, I'm, what? I do. I want the Blue Jays to win the World Series. Actually, I want, to, I want to see the Blue Jays win the World Series. I want the Blue Jays to win the World Series for two reasons. One, I really I want the they beat the Cubs. But also, I really like the idea of Toronto being tortured with the knowledge that they won a World Series before they won a Stanley Cup. Ooh, yeah. I like that. I think that that's a pretty fun thing to do. Uh, anything you want to promote, plug, anything that's going on in your world that the people should know about, any rallies that you're going to, anything like that? No, but um, I, I thought we would take this uh, maybe a minute or two to talk about why our Cook County Board President, Tony Prentwinkle, wants to raise the cost of soda in Cook County. Please do. Do you know about this? I don't actually. You don't know about this? No. I, well, so, is, it, is this the is this the sugar tax? Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so Cook County Board President Toya Prentwinkle 
um, in this new tax centerpiece for the 2017 budget um, is expected to generate $74 million next year into a close anticipated $174 million budget shortfall. Uh, Pretwinkle expects to um, cut this by 70, let's see, 78.5 million um, in a series of these personal reductions and everything, which includes 300 layoffs and everything, which, you know, people want to hear that and everything. So there's going to be a new tax that would be for bottled and fountain sodas and on other drinks that contain sugar or artificial sweetener like lemonade and energy drinks and everything. Um, milk and baby formula will not be subjected to this and everything. So a two-liter bottle of soda would generate 68 cents of new tax revenue, and the consumers would have to pay a total of 77 cents in taxes when the 10% um, sales tax is included in bringing the whole total costs for that two-liter bottle of soda from $0.89 cents up to $1.66. Okay. Here's my question for you. Uh, you know this stuff better than I do. Is this not, in many ways, an unfair tax on the poor? Well, of course. I mean, you're, you're, this is the one thing I never liked about Tory Prentwinkle from the word go. And... You know, there's already a high sales tax in Cook County. There's a high property tax in Cook County. And now she wants to use what I would consider this as a sin tax um, for those, and those would be the 18 to 35 demographic that consume sodas and energy drinks alone. You know? So that once was 89 cents soda um, at Jewel will be $1.66, you know? And if you go to the south side in Cook County, you know, when you have food deserts and you have nothing but convenience stores in every corner, so you're asking, you know, Miss Jenkins, who lives on, you know, 75th and Cottage Grove and has to go across the street, to that convenience store to buy the same product for $1.66 and, you know, her link card may, may or may not accept that? Well, the, the, the thing that I find most interesting about it is that you can look at it a lot of different ways. There are people who would argue that this is important because, you know, it'll make people drink healthier because they won't buy it. And then you go, well, okay, well, then what the hell is the point of the tax? Is the point of the tax to fix a budget issue or is it to force people to drink healthy? Because the two things are not exclusive. Because like what you're saying, if you go into a food desert area and, you know, they sell water, they sell bottles of water. So if the water becomes, look, I, I do, the only thing I support about this is that I've always thought it was screwed up that for the last few years, bottled water has been more expensive than soda, even though it's a more base drink. Right. Um, the problem that I have with this, and for people who don't understand, there are stats and there are numbers out there that will tell you certain things. Number one thing when it comes to eating and drinking is poor people eat and drink unhealthier than people with money. That's just a fact. Uh, you can debate that ever, however you want. You can frame it however you want. But the facts are people who are poor eat and drink shittier food. So, Especially when that's the only thing they're offered. Exactly. And... 
this tax will only really affect poor people who are already trying to stretch a dollar as much as possible. The problem with this is, it's again a, a, a political short step solution to a much larger problem. And you're right, it's a, it's a bad policy for a lot of reasons. Illinois has a very high tax rate to begin with. The problem is not the revenue that is being generated. The problem is how the money is being spent and on the tax breaks that are going on to supposedly keep employment here, even though jobs are leaving the state of Illinois at a record number. And you have a budget crisis that will continue to be in effect and a budget shortfall that will continue to be in effect until the actual Illinois state tax code, as far as businesses is concerned, is fixed. I do state taxes every single month for people who don't know this in my other job i do uh sales tax for a lot of businesses in the chicagoland area and i do the sales tax forms and every single month there's a discount and that discount for filing early is sometimes pretty significant like in the tens of thousands of dollar range for these companies these are for relatively small businesses the thing that that bugs me about it is and I've said this before, why not a one-year moratorium on the, on the discounts? Why not do the same thing for corporations? We're not doing this long-term. We're not cutting your, your, your tax cuts or your tax rebates for being employers in the state. This isn't a permanent thing. This is a one-year moratorium on discounts and tax cuts for anything that generates you know, income over $100,000 a year. Just the discounts, not, not the tax breaks, not everything else. Just the discounts for the filing. You would f- solve the Illinois budget crisis. But stuff like that will never go into play because the people who actually control the politicians in the state of Illinois are the people who donate to the campaigns, and those people don't want the discounts because their businesses imply supposedly need that money. Until you do stuff like that, until you take drastic measures to show people that it's not on them, because I'm tired of taxes being added to people who can't afford it to cover for the taxes that people aren't paying. I don't know. Well... That's the thing. So, I mean, even if you look from an economic standpoint, there's some, there's a su- supply and demand situation here. You know, a lot of people like to drink soda. You know, uh, a lot of people um, will drink Red Bull, Monster, whatever. You know, and especially that 18 to 35 demographic. You know, you can expand it all the way down to 15 to 35 if you really wanted to. Which is a very, very significant demographic that you know all those commercials are geared towards to begin with, and everything, um, and especially you know athletes who you know are sponsored by Red Bull, especially soccer players and you know basketball players or what have you, Gatorade, you know. So to kind of put the terms with that same two-liter bottle that will be a dollar sixty-six at Jewel. It would take a hundred and eight million two liter bottles to add up to the seventy four million dollar revenue that Pert Wrinkle wants in the new budget. So the supply and demand, now the assumption is with this budget that well there's it's already built in market. There's people who's going to buy and everything, and sure you may have an economic policy person on the staff and everything who will, you know, project shortfalls and everything else. But, you know, I'm sorry, 
when you have a demand that's high and there's a supply that's also equal, if not more high than the demand, and now you want to add a tax to it and everything, well, screw you. You know, that is going to go down. Your revenue is not going to be met and everything. You're going to go to DuPage County. You're going to go to Lake County. You're going to go into, excuse me, Indiana, Will County, wherever else besides Cook County to get that pop. If you really wanted it. If, if you'll allow me, AJ, we'll end the show on this. I present to you a scene from Soda Tax Theater. Play them. This is where the Masterpiece Theater music would play. And it would go as this. Yo, man. Yo. Yo. I got that good shit. I got that Coke. I got the DuPage County Coke. You want it? What about some Pepsi? I got it, man. Over here. Tax free. Fell off the back of a truck. Don't ask questions. Just get the truck. Get the soda. It's fine, man. It's fine. You got the soda? No, man. I don't got the soda. You got the money? No, man. Not here. In the car? No, man. Not in the car. Nearby. Scene. <laughs> People will be illegally selling tax-free soda. Right. Which will be awesome. And then I can embrace my my theory of being just a, a low-grade smuggler who drives soda over county lines. I mean, I mean, this is just asinine. And, well, hey, look, know. and it takes away the number one. Look, the biggest issue that you have is this. You raise a tax on soda, people are going to stop buying soda. It's that simple. And the, the amount of soda that you think that you're going to sell to make your tax revenue back is going to be cut by at least a third. So enjoy that because your problem does, it doesn't fix anything. It doesn't fix. It doesn't fix a single thing. But Again, now think of that same soda that's more pop i'm from chicago it's pop so soda son of a bitch (laughs) or or the bubbler um don't do that i know what a bubbler (laughs) is and it has nothing to do with with pop uh so you have that same beverage (laughs) son of a bitch you know, and you go to Whole Foods. Now think of that price at Whole Foods to begin with. Now you add that Cook County tax to it. Yeah. Now that dollar sixty six is really going to be three dollars. Well, then you got to go with the Jones Soda Company, at which point it'll be seven dollars for a six pack. You know. Yeah. All right. Well. So, go ahead, man. No, it's this no. is. This is our lovely Cook County, ladies and gentlemen. You know, just you know, we just we just keep taxing because these are the ways that we need revenue, and yeah, you know, we do. Money's not everything. I'm no, sorry it's say. not. And more importantly, you, you not every business can leave the state. Um, all right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this has been out front. AJ, anything else? No, I'm sorry. No, no, it's fine. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Out Front with AJ and Nick. AJ, say goodbye to the people. Bye, people. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Chicago Podcast Network. You can find us on Twitter, uh, Chi-Town Podcast One. You can email us on Gmail, Network at gmail.com. Most importantly, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening, downloading. Please tell your friends about us. Like us on iTunes. Like us on SoundCloud. Pretty much just, just tell us that you like us. We... We're needy like that, especially AJ. AJ cries every night when people don't like him on Facebook. He gets really emotional about it. And then I have to, like, drive all the way out to where he's at and and, and hold him in the night. 
you know. And then I try to steal a kiss from him because sometimes when things are beautiful, I can't stop myself. With your tic-tac breath. With my tic-tac breath. But not normal minty tic-tacs, no. We're an orange tic-tac couple. That's right. Yeah, because it doesn't really do anything. It's just candy, but no one ever admits that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I believe the phrase we're looking for here is, we out! Go Cubs. Oh, son of a bitch. It's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Ah!